0: Welcome to Disruption Blueprint with Shannon Spotswood from RFG Advisory. In this podcast, we help advisors grow their net worth, build their businesses, and maximize their independence. We've built an award-winning platform with innovative technology, comprehensive service, and a team of individuals who are experts in their field to serve advisors. Join us for this journey where we explore everything that has to do with running an independent advisor practice as we bring together successful advisors, industry experts, and innovative minds who are on the bleeding edge to challenge the status quo, foster new ideas, and create a path for advisors to unleash their growth potential. Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome to the Standard Deviations podcast, presented by Orion Advisor Solutions and hosted by Dr. Daniel Crosby, Orion's chief behavioral officer and New York Times bestselling author. Each week, Dr. Crosby interviews a fascinating new guest on a range of compelling topics, from literature to psychology to financial wellness. To learn more about Dr. Crosby's behavioral finance work at Orion, visit www.orion.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Standard Deviations Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Crosby. I'm so lucky to be joined today by Shannon Spotswood. She is the president at RFG Advisory. She is the most relentlessly positive and energetic person I know in the industry. And she is going to tell us all about her journey to the highest reaches of the industry, (laughs) uh, beginning at a hedge fund in San Francisco and transitioning through a children's boutique line of clothing. How are you?
3: I'm wonderful, it's so good to be here. Thank you for that kind introduction. I'll take being uh, identified as the most positive person in the industry as a uh, badge of honor. You earned
2: it, you earned it. Matt Meineke and I talk about how relentlessly hardworking and positive you are. It is engaging, it's inspiring, and it's tiring. How do you do it? How do, you do, how do you? how do you do it? No, but I wanna start about your journey. Yeah. You've had an incredible journey. You started off in the hedge fund industry in San Francisco, right? You moved into having this beautiful line of children's clothing, and now you find yourself at RFG. Talk us through your career. How'd you get here?
3: It's been such an incredible journey and such a gift. You know, I think I'm lucky in that I knew what I wanted to do at a very young age. So at 14, I had my eyes set on Wall Street, Mm. moved to San Francisco right after undergrad, Knew I wanted to work as a portfolio manager at a hedge fund.
2: I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop. But we're gonna stop right there. That was unusual at the time. Well,
3: I now have teenagers. I have a 17, 15, and 14 year old. And so I think about my 14 year old self asking my parents for a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, and realize how weird that is. <laughs> no, but you know, when we
2: think about engaging young young people generally, and and young women in specific, what clicked for you at a young age that that was what you wanted to do and that's who you wanted to be
3: if we're gonna get really kind of raw and honest about that answer it was clear to me at a young age that money was power Mm. and I wanted to learn more about money and this was the era this was the 80s it was the era of liar's poker and the den of thieves and I read those books I read you know Peter Lynch's A Random Walk Down Wall Street and just thought There's a kind of magical language and world out there that I want to know about.
2: So you got, you were like the Gordon Gecko of... (laughs) Of of Tacoma, Washington. Of of Tacoma, Washington, (laughs) high school age girls. But you knew, I mean, that's right. Like, right, you knew that money is power. You wanted a piece of that and you knew the route to that was... Speaking the language and familiarizing yourself with this. That's amazing
3: and I think I you know I have always had I credit really credit my mother who is the most positive person I've ever met But I've always had kind of hustle in my blood Mm. And so I think that that was the attribute that really stood out as you kind of you know the the 14 year old reading the Wall Street Journal reading those books like watching Wall Street, you know seeing all that that it was clear to me that it was an industry without a peak. You know, You it was, it was obvious just from exposing myself to that, you know, to that literature and to the markets and thinking about the markets, that it was very dynamic, that there were a lot of smart people that were engaged in this, that you couldn't beat Wall Street. Yeah. So there was never an end to it. And I think that that... You know, I wouldn't have been able to articulate that at that age and probably wouldn't be able to articulate that until more recently, but I know that there was that an underlying intangible current that I could feel.
2: Now now there's this understanding that that you typically have to see it to be it. Did you have powerful female <laughs> role models in your life? I mean, were there people in your orbit that you saw and said I want to be like her?
3: Uh, you know, absolutely. My mm-hmm. not directly, no one working in in finance, yeah. but my My mother's best friend, who's like a second mother to me, was a very successful lobbyist. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting how you look back through the narrative of your life, and you start to be able to pick out high points. Um, I vividly remember her... Uh, Coming home from school and finding her and my mother smoking cigarettes and drinking vodka at like two o'clock on a Uh Tuesday, and she's bawling her eyes out. She would be married to my father's best friend who left her for another woman, and she had two very young children. They were probably, at the time, let's call it four and six, five and seven, like a very young age, and... She was a breadwinner in her mm-hmm. family. While her husband was a successful orthodontist, or her ex-husband was a successful orthodontist, her life didn't fall apart. Right when she was left raising these two girls, and he kind of eloped off to Mexico. Sure, uh, and I think that you know that is, she was incredibly successful, very dynamic, uh-huh. had a real presence about her. So she certainly had a uh, had an influence, and I think. Equally as important, later on, the first hedge fund that I worked for in San Francisco, and at the time, this was, you know, I, I would challenge you almost to find another woman in this role. The firm that I joined uh, was only about $100 million, but their lead portfolio manager was a woman. Oh, wow. And that was unheard of in the hedge fund. I mean, the hedge fund industry as a whole was really just starting. It was one of the first hedge funds founded in San Francisco. So to to enter my career at a firm that hit its five-year track record, that basically quintupled overnight yeah. in terms of assets, being led by a woman who very intentionally took me under her wing yeah. and... And taught me how to analyze companies and how to be in the business. And she was very kind and very generous.
2: Yeah. So, were, were you an, an analyst at that company originally, and you became a PM? How, how did the career so go the that way? So, the
3: first hedge fund, and this is, you know, I think one of the most important pieces of advice that I can impart to a young person. I knew I wanted to work in an entrepreneurial environment. I knew I wanted to work for a hedge fund. Yeah. I, you know, All these things I was looking for. I actually was hired as the administrative assistant to the CEO founder. Uh-huh. That job took me about mm, two hours a day to do. And so uh, the, the head trader allowed me to come in, and it's San Francisco market hours, so you get in the office at 4, 4.30 in the morning. He allowed me to come in and I became his assistant. So I was the assistant to the trader in the morning. And then I was the PM's assistant in the afternoon and did all her modeling. And so I really had, I turned one job into three. Ah. And so I got all the real experience that allowed me to 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 secure a spot as in an investment banking program, what I'd call in my tertiary jobs you know the periphery and that's because it was a small startup and you can raise your hand and do a lot and and people give you the opportunity.
2: So the advice to a young person is what don't be bound by sort of the the constraints of the job make it your exactly. own or am yeah. I yeah
3: and don't be so arrogant to think that out of undergrad you should have the title
2: right you yeah. know
3: I mean it was that was the best lesson and then here I was expo- I was sitting at the you know I had a seat at the table yeah to learn all of this incredible experience, which is why I got the spot in investment banking, because I was the, everyone else was coming out of these Ivy League undergrad programs. The only reason I got the spot is because I had work experience and had sat there and traded IPOs and had modeled companies. So I took what was, you know, a job on paper and turned it into this launching point.
2: So you you put yourself in the room where it happens, right? You put yourself in the room where it happens. You made the most of that. You climbed the ranks, you become an investment banker. Why we're taking the very quick drive by yeah. of your career? Go. Why leave? Right? Why? Why? What? What caused you to leave? That you could have done that forever. Oh, and you
3: know, I'll tell you the investment bank really quick that I worked for was called Volpe Brown Whalen. We took Netscape public. Uh, it was the first you know deal that happened when I joined the bank, and uh, we were the only at the time. We were the only investment bank focused on technology companies yeah, and taking companies, them. Public. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So it was just this crazy explosive time <clears throat> that we started an M and a group. Uh, you're sleeping under your desk, you know, hundred thousand miles on multiple airlines, yep. red eyes to New York, all the rest of it. And then I was given the opportunity to join a hedge fund that was a quantitative qualitative focused fund. Uh-huh. They needed someone to come in who could do the qualitative fit of the analysis. And wow. I had that experience.
2: Wow. So you climbed all the way to the top of the mountain. Though, why leave that industry? How long ago did you leave?
3: Oh my gosh, I left in that would be twenty ten.
2: Twenty ten. Twenty ten. So you're so making lots I was of money. 10 you're doing years great.
3: at Symphony Asset Management. We were acquired by Nuveen Investments, and this is the power of the pivot. Uh-huh. So I had loved, you know, loved the industry. Had run a fund, a long short equity hedge fund for six years. Was doing a lot of really interesting work for Symphony and Nuveen. And one day, having fallen in love at fourteen, I wasn't in love anymore. I got mm. to a point. I had these three, you know, amazing, beautiful young children. They're three and a half years apart. My youngest daughter was born in May of 2008, mm-hmm. so into the teeth of the uh, the the crisis. And I just I couldn't crawl in an airplane. I couldn't do it. I just. I fell out of love and I knew that I wanted to keep working. I was really fascinated and had had great success investing in retail companies. I was fascinated at the idea of building brands mm-hmm. and had this opportunity met a woman who had moved from Manhattan to Marin County, which is where we had we were living at the time it started busy bees and it was a home show company with upside down boxes of inventory in her garage and you know needed uh she had this brilliant idea of design but she needed a partner who could come in and think strategically and run a business mm-hmm. and that was that was what I was looking for. So I yeah. went from you know the tallest building in San Francisco and a huge team and you know all of this to upside literally upside down boxes of inventory and how are we going to pay for post-it notes?
2: So you know one of the things that I see a lot from the behavioral side of things is that people have a hard time leaving money behind, right? Yeah. I mean, even if they're dramatically unhappy, even if they're miserable, it's hard to let that go. How did you go from? You know, running a hedge fund, being an investment banker, climbing all the way to the top to the upside down boxes in the garage.
3: I mean, from a money perspective, my husband ran a hedge fund. That's how we met it, yeah. the very first hedge fund. Um, and we had been very intentional about investing in savings. So yeah. there was runway for me to take yeah. risk.
2: So you bought yourself you bought your freedom effectively. I bought my freedom. Yeah, you bought I your did. freedom effectively. Yeah. Yeah,
3: but it was you know, what's so interesting and I think A big part of why I'm so passionate about what we're building at RFG is because of that pivot that I made. Had I stayed on that linear trajectory of only working in finance and I hadn't witnessed up front the emotional connection, so what The clothing company, Busy Bees, our whole motto was American Prep, and we were providing clothing that was really woven into the photograph, the family memory. Like We were the brand that people turned to for the Christmas card picture, the first day of school, the wedding, and to see a brand connect on a very emotional level, that is a language that is completely absent in the financial services industry. We don't like to talk about love. Uh And so I think about, you know, where people are, where I was in my career, and I really believe, could I do what I'm doing now at RFG if I had stayed on that linear trail? Absolutely. Could I do it with the insight and the perspective of the consumer experience and the culture and really trying trying to paint a canvas that has that love language woven into it? I don't know i don't know if i would have seen it like that you know
2: i i love what you're talking about here because i think in this industry perhaps in all industries we get too specific sometimes when we're looking to hire someone right we're like do you have five years of this ten years of that you have built a world-class financial brand and it sounds to me that many of the lessons you learned on how to build an incredible brand, you learned in an upside down box world of selling beautiful, by the way, children's clothing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I view these various skills we pick up at our jobs as sort of like Lego blocks, and you can, you can build them in a thousand different ways. You can combine brand building into a thousand different things. Tell us now, you just won a wealthy award for the work that your well your your company won a Wealthy Award, I, I want to give credit yes. to the team because I know you would do yes. that, right? So RFG just won a yes. Wealthy Award. Tell us what you won it for. Tell us a bit about your work there.
3: I mean, Daniel, it is. I'm we're still on cloud nine. Yeah. It's been. So exciting. So for three years in a row, we were nominated for the non-custodial RIA support platform. And that is, you know, a long way of saying basically what RFG does. We are a non-custodial RIA support platform for independent financial advisors. So to be nominated three years in a row, in and of itself, was just yeah. hugely, you know, empowering and, and really validating. But I have to tell you, like, winning feels amazing. Winning feels really good. And winning feels different. So... You know, uh, a nod to our tremendous, you know, co nominees, Carson and Dynasty, and to have RFG's name uh, said in that sentence alongside those formidable and very friendly competitors is is also an honor. We won it for our platform. Uh And what's interesting about this award is that you not only have to check the box on delivering a platform, but you also have to have an innovative, Solution that is driving value into your advisors and into their clients. So basically, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. It's not good enough just to have a great platform. What have you done for me lately? So we were nominated the first year for our Stronger Money Initiative, which Mm -hmm. is our female education, how to live financially fearless, uh, an advisor support platform, Mm -hmm. our second year for our warrior advisor platform. And this year when we won was for RFG Assist, which is I think one of the most empowering programs that we've developed. And it's about turning upside down how administrative assistants support financial advisors. So we looked at that and we said, if you talk to a financial advisor for more than five minutes, they will immediately share with you kind of their trials and tribulations about building their team. Uh How do I hire? How do I retain? How do I mentor? How do I pay? How do I incentivize? How do I get my admins to be, you know, creative thinkers, not order takers, you know, all these things. And so what we did is we said, let's turn that whole paradigm upside down, let's hire all the admins, turn them into W2s of RFGs so that we can offer them competitive benefits out of the gate, but more importantly, let's hire them, let's train them, let's mentor them, let's have our motto be turn your uh, your admin assistant into a force multiplier. So the admin is really now held to the standard of how am I going to empower my advisor to spend more time in what they do best, which is, working directly with their clients and prospecting. So it's a whole program. It includes fractional allocations. So an advisor who might not need 100% allocation to an admin could have a 50% allocation. And it expands out to advisor teams where they might have a five-member team. They all become a part of this program as well
2: how How much did your early experience as an admin factor into your thinking around this? Did this play in? I mean, did you say like, "Hey, I'm gonna turn you into super admins like I was when I,
3: <laughs> I mean, uh, that would be that's all but a distant memory. Not really. It was more. And you touched on this a little bit. I'm obsessed with how yeah. do you create? and build a high-performing team? What are the attributes of success? What are the roles and responsibilities? How do you set people up so that they're really amplifying their intrinsic skill set and focusing on really getting everybody so that they're operating not only in kind of their their zone of happiness, Mm -hmm. but they're operating in a place where they feel like inspired they feel energized they see a career path in front of them like that you know if you were to ask me what is part of my personal why like what gets me out of bed in the morning for rfg i want every single person on our team to say i am who i am today professionally i am where i am whether it's at rfg or elsewhere because of the experience i had at rfg Yeah. So for me, this was much more about how do you build a high performing team around an advisor so that they can amplify that one to one time with their client? That is their superpower. Yeah. So if their superpower is working with clients and prospecting, why do advisors spend 80% of their time on non revenue generating activities and a big bulk of that 80%? could be done by their admins, their planners, other members of their team. So it didn't necessarily come from the kind of learned experience. It Mm -hmm. came more from my obsession with building a team of A players.
2: So... One of the things about RFG that I love is you are building your team of a players in Birmingham, Alabama, so we got acquainted now we see each other everywhere, <laughs> right We see each other at every conference. but we got acquainted when I made some sort of offhanded joke about being from Alabama and, and you know all that that entails, and you said, "Hey, you know wait a minute, you know not so fast like i 'm from Alabama, and I love it and whatever." I'm sitting here with my wedding ring on. My my wedding ring is an Alabama quarter that's molded into the shape of a ring. I have enormous Alabama pride, my previous jokes aside. Alabama's not the place that that most people would think if I'm going to build, you know, a world-class platform like you're building. That's not the place that comes to mind for most people. Talk to me about why build in sort of an unconventional, unexpected place?
3: I love that. I think that is a um, one of my kind of motivating sayings is I write the headline in my mind of like, whoever would have thought the RA of the future would be born in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, It is, um, having lived in San Francisco for 20 plus years, I was raised in Seattle, I've was born in Nashville, so I come by my southerness by birth. But I have lived in these world-class cities. And what I will tell you about building a firm in a market like, in a city like Birmingham, Alabama, southerners are known, and you're no exception to this, of loving their families, Mm -hmm. loving their communities. They almost have servant heart by nature. It's like genetically coded. (laughs) Kindness is genetically coded. So what we've been able to do, is really, I think, amplify those intrinsic skill sets and then be absolutely ruthless about being clear-eyed about what it means to be a successful member of, of the team at RFG. And one of the big benefits that I think that 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 has served us is that we've been able to build a very diverse team. Mm-hmm. Much more than I, you know, and people are surprised when I say this, much more than I ever experienced in my time living on the West Coast and working on the West Coast. So if you screen for diversity, what you're able to do when you're in a city like Birmingham, Alabama, yeah. and quite honestly, we're at a point now where we're attracting talent that's willing to relocate from other parts of the country, seeing the quality of life and seeing what we're building to be a part of it. So you screen for diversity, you hire for talent, you end up with a really diverse team. And that I think is a little bit of the alchemy that's happening That's happening for us.
2: Well, I don't know if I've ever said this to you in in these words, but I'm so proud of what you all are building in Birmingham, Alabama. I have such Southern pride and such Alabama pride and it's really wonderful to see the RIA of the future coming to fruition from a place I love very much. We're gonna talk about the RIA of the future now and I wanna approach it from different angles because when I was preparing for this, I was going through all of your social content, looking at some of the things you've written and some of the things you've put out there. And there's a couple of hashtags that come up a lot. And one of them, probably the most prevalent one, was RIA of the future. So I'm going to do uh, sort of a lightning round, okay. if you will. I'm going to ask you about these different facets of what your vision is for the RIA of the future. Okay, you've talked a lot about teamwork. We talked a lot about culture. What is the culture and sort of the team makeup of the RIA of the future?
3: For us, it's servant heart warrior mindset. Mm. And that just means really putting the advisor at the center of everything that we do. So somewhat breaking the mold of our industry that I'm going to get my claws into you and as a result force you to love me yeah. and instead really think about it how do we help advisors build enterprise value on their own personal balance sheet so once you're unified in that servant heart service oriented culture, that for us is like the center and I think it's really interesting we all as an industry we talk about service all the time yeah but in but unless you're gonna walk it every single day and you're gonna be jumping out of bed like, we're on the same team. How am I gonna help you solve problems? How am I gonna help you deepen that relationship with a client? How am I gonna take your feedback to innovate in tech, to innovate in marketing, to you know, to really absorb all that you're getting, whether it's from clients or for advisors, and then integrating that into your service offering, you're not you're not really walking the walk on it.
2: So one of my early jobs out of my doctoral program was at a at a pre employment assessment firm. So I would give IQ tests, personality tests, and and the like, before banks would make big hires. How do you hire for something as meaningful, but perhaps hard to get your arms around, as a servant heart? When you're sitting across from someone interviewing, and you have whatever, a handful of interviews with which to kind of understand their heart, how do you ascertain whether or not they have that that je ne sais quoi you're looking for?
3: This is one of the, I think, most important things that our industry can do as we think about the future and how to change where we rank in terms of uh, young people looking at careers. We're like Mm -hmm. basically one notch above used car salesmen. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, and you touched on this. It is hiring for attributes. So as a company, you have to start to really dig deep and identify what makes your team tick. For us, for example, you have got to have a very high quotient of FIO. FIO stands for figure it out. Uh. We lovingly call it internally FFIO. Might be a bit salty for some (laughs) others. But that to us is like, how do you problem solve? Are you comfortable not having all of the pieces of information that you might need in order to make a decision? Uh. Are you comfortable being uncomfortable with like... I'm gonna to have to recalibrate. Are you comfortable iterating to excellence? Are you comfortable with this notion of getting 1% better every day? Are you comfortable with radical candor? Mm-hmm. For us, it like so we sat down and we really thought about what does it mean to be an A player, an RFG, and we wrote down all of those. What does servant heart warrior mindset mean? Mm-hmm. So we have a list of attributes that we ask interview questions around, and every depart, every functional team has a different flavor. Yeah. But when we're having a conversation of and we're heck yes, heck no on pretty much everything we do. Yeah, we're if you're ambivalent, it's a heck no. Right. So when we're having a hiring conversation, and I love Greg Menefee just uh, here at Fused, use the word as opposed to hiring, we're selecting. Mm. When we're having a team member selection conversation, mm-hmm. we've got to have every one of those attributes checked. And then I'll be perfectly honest with you, Daniel, we're ruthless about it. So you onboard, it is 30, 60, 90 day. It is scheduled. We have a very intentional week long onboarding where we institutionalize this vocabulary. So that, you know, I think is such a key part of it.
2: Yeah. Okay. You, you've given so many nuggets there, right? So first of all, We all want these things, like drive, servant leadership, purpose, you know, that that why. But you all went, you took the step to codify them, right? So I think that that codification is the first step because all of these things... Passion leaves a trace, right? Like, if someone's passionate, if they have this FIO mentality or whatever, FFIO mentality, that leaves a trace. There's evidence of that in their life. You got to codify that, break it down, and then look for it. And then I love the, like, all in or all out, heck yes or heck no thing. Uh, I think so many times companies get to a place where they just need to put a button yep. in a seat and they they settle. And they you know? won't
3: make the hard call. Like, if it's, it's not... You, It is not a bad thing. To let someone go on your team and encourage them to go be successful elsewhere. Like, make the hard decisions. And I'll tell you, this is a great exercise. We lived it. So for us, it's a lived experience. But for someone who isn't going to completely tear the company apart like we did. So, you know, there was RFG 2.0, which is where we are now. Uh My business partner, Bobby White, founded RFG in 2003 and realized when we became partners that... He wanted to build the RA of the future and what he had wasn't gonna get him there. Mm-hmm. So there are not many leaders in the industry, founders, advisors in the industry who are gonna look at their, you know, very successful companies. It was a billion two mm-hmm. seven years ago RIA. I mean it was a big Firm, very successful firm, and say, you know what? We're going to tear everything down. We're going to rebuild it from the ground floor up. We're going to disrupt ourselves. We're going to have this clear vision about technology and the value offering to our advisors, how we're going to build our team. But what I would challenge, you know, that's pretty... That's pretty extreme, but it's an exercise that I think you could go through in a hypothetical space with a whiteboard. If today was the first day of 2.0, who would be in the seat? How would we define roles? How would we communicate in terms of the cadence of the way we run our meetings, the way we run our teams, the way we hire? What would be our attributes? What would be our value proposition? How would we disrupt ourselves? We lived that, mm-hmm. but it's, and that, that it is those dark moments, you know, the hard thing about hard things, staring at the ceiling mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur that- yeah forces you to get very clear-eyed on mission, vision, values, but it's something every owner, every founder, and their team could absolutely go through, and it's eye-opening.
2: Well, this is sort of a behavioral thought exercise with assets, right? Like We know people have status quo bias and things like that, so they want to hold on to things that they don't necessarily need to, and so one way you can say, hey, would, would you buy this again today? Right. Like, Would you buy this? And you're, you're effectively saying, look. Would we do things the way we're currently doing them if we were to, to start it all again today? And, you know, it occurs to me when you're, when you're talking to me about RFG 2.0, one of the reasons why I think there's not more great companies in our space is because it's so easy to be good. Yeah. And I mean, your partner was making a great living, yeah. Like, and was was very successful, and was probably very happy, and a lot was going well for him. And had a
3: lot less gray hair.
2: Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. No, I mean, so he, he was doing good, right? Yeah. Like, he was doing good, but he wasn't doing great. Yep. And and so it's so easy, I think, in this world, just because we're blessed to work in a field where there's good margins and sticky, and recurring st- revenue, recurring revenue, sticky clients, the tailwinds of the market, yeah. you know. It's easy to become complacent, but I think y'all are a great, y'all, this is an Alabama yeah, podcast, baby. I think y'all are a great example of how to, how to you know, burn it all down when you, when you need to. Uh, what does the tech stack look like for the RIA of the future?
3: Oh man, that's what we're here for. Fuse one of our you know touchstones is we have to disrupt ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we'll never you know we've been incredibly fortunate uh, to have won some awards and be recognized as an icon and innovator for the work we do on tech. So we live in a fully integrated tech stack that has been. Customized for our advisor and client experience. At the center of that is Orion, Money Guy Pro, Salesforce, InvestorCom, AdvicePay. We've built a really cool marketing engine on the FMG chassis. Uh-huh. So for us right now, we're living in a seamlessly integrated ecosystem. And we're we're pretty ruthless about it. Like we are very open to, you know, we're looking at adding on FP Alpha. We love the work that Benjamin's doing. There's a really cool startup out of Birmingham that I think this industry is going to be excited about called Prism that we're looking to integrate into our client portal. So we're always interested in cutting edge tech and how to either save our advisors time, enhance the client experience, or help our advisors to grow their practice But the interesting question and what we're all sitting around here in beautiful Park City at Fuse talking about is how to leverage data. Mm. And on, you know, for me, I think I'll leave the, you know, the nerdy side of the house to far more technically proficient people. But what I'm obsessed with and could probably fill a couple whiteboards and will be uh, what I'll be doing after I leave here is the client experience of the future. So, well, I think we're in a really, int- you know, we've got the best tools we've ever been able to have. And this is where, you know, the work that you're doing comes in. Because that client experience, and I have steal this from you all the time. And I, I think it's, if I was going to point to something... That I'm most reflective on in terms of what does the future look like from a tech perspective, it's a, a study that you shared with me. And I was blown away when you when you shared it. So the study was done. What do people look for in their financial advisor? Mm-hmm. How do they rank it? Number one, do they share my values? Number two, do they get me? Number three, do I want to spend time with them outside the office? If you were to pull 100 advisors right now, they would tell you my financial planning, the trust I've built, my reputation in the industry, and my investment portfolio. Never would they talk about their values, do people like me, and what do I, how do I spend time yeah. outside the office? So there's a huge opening for the tech stack of the future, to be very nimble from a data perspective and really breaking down you know, real-time data, real-time settlement with the custodians, no more friction on you know, daisy-chaining in bank accounts and all the rest of it, really looking to the robos, which I think have done a fantastic job of showing us how, how seamless that can be. But it's gonna, it's gonna sit there, and how does it make me feel?
2: Yeah, so you. I usually share questions with my guests. I didn't share questions with you because I knew how sharp you were, and I knew you'd be uh, energetic and in the moment. My next question was all about client experience. Is that the difference then? Like making that deep rapport, the level of connection. It, it just feels different than it does today in the RIA. Okay, of the so future? here's
3: why I think that's true. Is I really? I mean, advisors are incredible because they are. For all intents and purposes, the last professional standing who has a very deep and all-encompassing relationship with the client. You don't have it with your doctor. A lot of people don't have it with, you know, they don't have an active faith. They don't have it with their pastor. Mm -hmm. Their family might be scattered all over the country. And are you really going to share every intimate, you know, facet of your life, including your finances with your sister, maybe. Um, So the financial advisor is in this incredible superpower position in a moment in time where we're going to see the largest generational wealth transfer in history combined with the average age of a financial advisor is north of 60 years. So we've got these forces, these winds of change that are blowing that are going to influence the next 10 years. And these next 10 years are Going to be hands down the most exciting, the most, I think, most profitable, most dynamic period in our industry's history. And I think it's going to all be on the client experience. How do I generationally engage? How do I serve the 22 year old who's just graduating? How do I serve the 50 year old? How do I serve everyone at different points and pivot points in their life? We haven't done a great job of delivering advice at the critical moments in time when advice is needed. And I think that like thinking about data, thinking about delivery, thinking about the client experience, thinking about the portal, thinking about video and marketing and branding and how do I feel is going to be the difference maker.
2: It's so interesting. So I was talking to a listener of the show who wanted to meet, and he's in the U.K., and I said, you know, what are you seeing? Like, wh- where are you seeing your practice going? And he said to me, and I was shocked by this, and now I'm hearing it from you, right? He said, look, all the traditional structures are going away, right? People attend church, you know, less than they used to. People don't go to clubs. And, you know, the, the just sort of the societal structures are crumbling. Like, the even, you know, our families are more disconnected, like you said. He says, I see myself increasingly Filling the role of an advisor slash pastor slash life coach. Yes, slash life coach. Those were the exact words he used. And so it's incredible to hear that twice in one week from different sides of the pond. And I don't think our tech is there right now. I mean, our tech is all around the blocking and tackling, like you talked about. You know, it's all around tax alpha and asset management and, you know, risk assessment. We're going to have tech, I think, and processes in the next 10 years, and I get excited when you talk about it, that's going to deepen that client experience and revolutionize this in light of this new role that advisors have.
3: Well, we get it already. I mean, Instagram is like the most influential... like sculptor of consumer buying behavior i mean the amount of crap i have bought on instagram because i'm like ooh, bright shiny object in my feed and i'm clicking i'm buying it but it's always contextually relevant yeah and granted i mean they're spying on us so there might be that factor there might be a data privacy issue but it's really interesting in the context of our industry and just other consumer experiences and that is at a very surface level that's buying stuff this is what we do the work that we do is at a very deep personal level this is your life and if we start thinking about like longevity which we haven't even talked about which is a other like completely fascinating like paradigm shift for the industry is all right, the medicine is going to be there where we're going to start building financial plans to age 100 yeah. and living these different chapters and being lifelong learners and this financial advisor sitting at the middle of all of this in this life coach, wellness coach, health coach, financial advisor place, the firms of the future are going to look different and it's going to be really exciting. It's, I mean, there's a little bit of like,
0: whoa.
2: I want to I want to run with the the IG thing for a minute. So Instagram, you're a great follow on Instagram, right? So Instagram has cracked the code. I feel like on consumer behavior and consumer sentiment more so than any other app that I have seen. Are you with, are you with me there? Completely agree. Okay, the things you've purchased on Instagram because you out you outed yourself. You say you bought a bunch of stuff on Instagram. Has it been like? Have you been happy with those purchases?
3: I would say I'm probably a 90% hit rate. I was
2: just thinking about it. I've never thought about this before. When you talked about it, I have the stuff I've bought off of Instagram, I love, I love it. Like, I mean, I got addicted to this hot sauce. I'm still addicted. (laughs) Shout out to Truff hot sauce, black truffle hot sauce, the greatest stuff. I put it on everything. I found my favorite shirts on Instagram. You know, the best t-shirts I've ever worn. I'm like thrilled. You know, you were talking about the, you know, it's kind of creepy how well yeah. they know us and they market so directly to us. But when I think about the last five things I've bought off of yeah. Instagram, I'm thrilled. Thrilled. Yeah, thrilled with the mm-hmm. things I've bought. We can get there, right, with yeah. the data where we can make real-time, highly personalized recommendations for our clients' financial lives. Yeah. We can be that creepy too. No, <laughs>
3: It's our new hashtag for <laughs> yeah. <We're> that creepy.
2: <laughs> as creepy as IG. Oh man. But no, I mean it's like there there's something to that. It's not like you bought some junk and your well, buyers and, remorse. You know,
3: you do so much work on this and so much good. You're such a force for good in the industry on this front, but we still haven't cracked the code on the disconnect between a couple sitting down with their financial advisor and the experience that they're having. yeah, We still haven't cracked that code. We haven't cracked the how do I authentically communicate around these very sensitive topics? How do I feel safe here? How do I weave that into my financial plan? How does my client portal then mirror and parrot back to me these values that I've expressed? Like. Yeah.
2: That, we're working on it. We're at a working round. on we're, it. We know we got some good stuff you're, coming you're on that front. You're cooking up some yeah. stuff
3: in your lab. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it really. That's why I think we're we're about to see this. This just. I, I just think we're going to move really fast. I think we're going to. And when we think about the RAA of the future. You've got to have table stakes to check all these boxes with your platform offering and driving value and all the rest of it. But for us, it's much more about mindset. Yeah, It is much more about, you know, are you willing to disrupt yourself? Are you willing to live to your ethos? Are you, you know, it's more about that than it is let me point to this piece of tangible evidence
2: so the the last question before i get to my alabama trivia portion Uh which i'm very excited about but the last question i'll ask is around that longevity piece i think it's a a a brilliant topic that you broached how how does the ria of the future look different when you know when my six-year-old was born they said look there's like a a great chance she's going to live to be 100. Yeah, And, you know, I think about my life. I was in school till I was, you know, whatever, 28.
3: A minute. Yeah,
2: a minute. You know, it's like I was in school till I was 27, 28. Yeah. You know, I'm nearly 30 when I get out of school. And then what I'm going to work for, how long do you have to work, right? Like we're delaying adulthood We're living forever now. Right? How does the RIA of the future address longevity risk and the the longevity needs of the the population?
3: Okay, so this isn't going to surprise you because you were starting to paint like this very like sad drudgery, like slogging away for seventy years. No, no, you're the happy. You're the happy one here. here So here is what I think is interesting: the ROI of a client changes dramatically if you. Basically, blow up the actuarial table. Mm -hmm. So an advisor thinking about the generational impact of their firm and how they're building their team, if the clients are now living to a hundred as opposed to dying in their 70s and 80s, is very different. The yeah. enterprise value of that firm is different hmm. right now. If you you know sat down with Dave Devoe or any of the talented folks that are doing M and A for our industry, and hmm. you went through that analysis of I want to value my practice, a part of that equation will be digging into your book, looking yeah. at the demographics of it, and how old is your book? And assuming aging?
2: everyone dies at eighty one, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs>
3: so you know what's what's so fascinating about that is. If you start to live to be 100, what choices are you making that are different around your career? Oh, yeah. You you're retiring, but you're retiring into a different line of work like I'll tell you right now, we're going to be doing this 50 years from now because I'm dying with my boots on. And am I going am I going to be the president of RFG for 50 years? No, there's going to be someone smarter and younger to, you know, step into that role at some point. But you know, I'm I think that Our industry attracts lifelong learners. It's part of what we love about this. We are, you know, I think one of the reasons that we could really attract talent and really smart people to come into the industry is we are at our core caregivers. Mm. So there's longevity in being a lifelong learner, in being a caregiver. So I think that it, from an advisor perspective, You're going to start thinking differently about the talent that you're hiring into your team, Mm -hmm. what your revenue model looks like, how you're going to actually serve the next gen. Mm -hmm. It's not a hope and pray strategy. Yeah. Like, I hope that when they get the assets, I get to keep them because I had that one call. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of work we can do there. But the most exciting thing to me is it changes the enterprise value of these firms.
2: Wow, it's incredible, you know, I hadn't thought through all this, but yeah, everything from the way you value a firm to the way you meet the needs of the people within the firm to the way you shepherd people through a career transition, I mean everyone's going to have five different portfolio careers forever, I think now everyone's yeah. gonna be a Shannon Spotswood you Heck know yeah <laughs> that's a that's the kind of world I want to live in we'll we'll leave it at that so. We've already talked about Alabama, but we have not talked about it enough. It's how we met. It's why I love what you're doing. Let's give you a little bit of Alabama trivia to close this out. She has not been prepared oh,
3: no. for this. Let's hope every answer is just roll tide.
2: It's every answer is just ro- <laughs> roll tide. Um, okay, so the first question, by the way, I give you full grace on this. You're a great sport. This, this city was home to Miss Baker the first animal to ever go to space. Animal, first animal to go to space. Where in Alabama would that be? Huntsville. Huntsville, correct. Your hometown, hometown. baby. We got to lead with the hometown. Miss Baker, (laughs) shout out to Miss Baker, has uh, beer named after her, I believe, in Huntsville. Okay, second question, so you're one for one. Second question, true or false, an Alabama native holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest bubblegum bubble
3: blown. Uh, true. True.
2: Absolutely. Uh, without roll, question. Roll time. Roll tide. Roll tide. <laughs> roll tide. We got the biggest bubbles. Okay. We got, the, we got the monkeys. We got the biggest bubbles. Okay. State bird. What is the state bird of Alabama? Yellow hammer. Yellow. Rammer. Rammer, rammer jammer. jammer.
3: Yellow Okay. Hammer.
2: Yeah. Wow. She's three. You were worried.
3: I, you were worried. I'm still worried. I'm so and nervous there's right only, now. There's okay. only
2: two more and one's easy. Okay. Which former secretary of state was born in Birmingham? She has expressed... Condoleezza Rice. Oh, I didn't even have to give you my second clue. It was Condoleezza I mean, she Rice. Is
3: hometown hero. We're very proud.
2: Last one. True or false, Auburn will win the Iron Bowl this year.
3: Roll Tide. <laughs>
2: That, that is also correct. <laughs> Auburn will not win the Iron Bowl this year.
3: But you know what I love about SEC football and, you know, those rivalries everyone shows up to play Alabama. So I will never put my hand on a bible and swear because I still remember cheering in an iron bowl and then watching Auburn turn around and run that ball all the way into the end zone.
2: That the kick six is one of the greatest <laughs> the kick six is one of the greatest moments in college football history. But Shannon, you are one of the greatest leaders in financial services industry history. Thank you for joining us. If people want to learn more about you, want to learn more about the RIA of the future and RFG, where can they find
3: you? RFG and follow me on LinkedIn is probably my favorite. We're also on stronger money and, uh, I guess that's it.
2: All right. And that's strong, her, Money. strong,
3: her, A-T-R okay. money. Good.
2: Strong, her money. Shannon, yeah. you're awesome. Thank you again, you
3: too.
0: Thank you for listening to the disruption blueprint podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.rfgadvisory.com or schedule a call on our advisor resources page. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new would come available. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific training strategy information here may be provided, in part, by third-party sources. These sources are generally deemed to be reliable. However, neither our guest nor RFG Advisory guarantee the accuracy of third-party sources. The views expressed here are those of our guest. They do not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, its employees, or its clients. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by Registered Representatives of Private Client Services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by Investment Advisory Representatives of RFG Advisory, LLC. RFG Advisory or RFG, a registered investment advisor. Private Client Services and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place. RFG Advisory is an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of RFG by the Commission nor does it indicate that RFG or any associated investment advisory representative has attained a particular level of skill or ability.
1: All opinions expressed by Dr. Daniel Crosby and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion and its affiliates, subsidiaries, and employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information the participants consider reliable. For more information about RFG Awards, please visit rfgadvisory.com awards. The Strong Her Money financial education platform is offered by RFG Advisory LLC and its investment advisor representatives. Please see stronghermoney.com for additional information.